Anyway, this is the last in a long and fruitful series that we have been going through in the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. We have called it People of the Kingdom, and Paul gives us practical and often life-saving advice from two viewpoints. The first viewpoint is from what God has given to us, the kind of people that we are. We are blessed people. We are informed people. We are empowered, gifted. But also from a second viewpoint, the kind of people God is calling us to be, participating, unified, obedient, self-controlled, pure people. Today, a final characteristic that God calls us to be, that is prepared people. Not long ago in our Bereans Bible study group, we went through the book of Daniel. And chapter 10 in the book of Daniel opens with Daniel in mourning. He hasn't eaten for three weeks because although the Jews had been allowed by King Cyrus to return to Jerusalem from exile in Babylon, not many were taking him up on the deal. They'd become comfortable in their new surroundings, and it grieved Daniel. So God sends an angel to Daniel who gives Daniel comfort and encouragement by revealing to him a picture of the future, a picture of ultimate victory for God's people. But before the angel can reach Daniel, he's waylaid by the prince of Persia, one of Satan's devils and chief lieutenants. The angel is held up in battle with this devil for 21 days until he calls upon Michael, one of God's chief angels, to come and assist him. The angel then descends to give Daniel the prophecies, the good news. But when he is done, he returns to the fight. The point here is that the battle is real. It was real in Daniel's time. It's real now. The fight continues to this day, and it will continue until Christ comes again. Angels and demons battle it out constantly. And you and I are not just casual bystanders. We participate in this battle as well. We are warriors fighting right alongside the angels. Satan's attacks are endless, and they're wearying. Sometimes these battles are obvious and visible to us, but so often they're subtle and they're hidden, aren't they? Well, how does Satan attack us? What are the tactics that he uses? Well, here are just some of the ways that he uses, some of the tactics he uses. He attempts to undermine God's character and his credibility. He tempts us to, to doubt God's will and his motives, to doubt that he really has the best in mind for us. Just as with Adam and Eve, he tries to convince us that God didn't really mean what he said. He also destroys the victories that we have in life by seemingly generating trouble that makes life difficult through persecution or just plain hard times. Doesn't it seem as if our victories are so often closely followed by failures or hardship? Satan also attacks believers by confusing the message of God's gospel. A big deception 
is that Satan wants us to think that salvation comes by being good people, by doing good deeds, not from what Christ did on the cross. Satan also loves to hinder Christians in their service to God and to others. When God plants a desire for us to go to India or Juarez or Long Beach, how often does it seem as if the barriers immediately come up, the reasons for not going? That's Satan at work. He also likes to cause division. When Jesus was close to death, his prayer for the disciples was unity. He knew Satan would be on the prowl. And the church is a big attack point for Satan, and sadly it seems like he wins way too often. Satan also persuades us to trust in our own resources. I can do this all by myself. And so we flee from our dependence on God. And then finally, he leads us into worldliness. The world and its pleasures become the influencers in our lives. We fall for the temptations of materialism, self-indulgence, and maybe even immorality. So Paul closes his letter to the Ephesians by reminding us that we are in a battle. Let's read chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Finally, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So Paul brings his letter to a close with a warning. Yes, you are people of the kingdom. Yes, you can have all of these characteristics of kingdom people. Blessed, informed, gifted, unified, obedient. But that doesn't mean the attacks from Satan will ease up. In fact, they most certainly will intensify. And so Paul says in verse 10, be strong. And in verse 11, stand firm. The schemes of the devil are real. Verse 12 confirms it. For our struggles, struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, imagine if Paul had just stopped there. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that would be enough to scare me into bagging this Christian thing. But he doesn't stop there. And in the next few verses, he lays out the resources available to all Christians, the resources we need to withstand, battle, and even win against these attacks. 
Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. We can resist. We can fight back. We can beat Satan. He is powerful. The battle is hard. But Satan is not all-powerful. God is. And Paul encourages us to team up with God, to take advantage of the resources he gives us to stand firm and win against the powers of darkness. Well, what are the resources then? What is, what is this armor that God gives us? What does it look like? How does it protect us? How do we put it on? Well, Paul goes on to list six pieces of armor that God makes available to all Christians. And they are, in in effect, laying at our feet, ready for us to take them up. Put them on, Paul says, and there is a promise given in verse 13. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. So let's look at each of these pieces of armor. On your outline, the first piece of armor... Paul lists here is the belt of truth. In Paul's day, the Roman soldier would wear a tunic. It was a large square piece of cloth with holes in it for the head and the arms. On a normal day, it was very comfortable. But in battle, it would be too loose and it would hinder the soldier's movements. And so it needed cinching up with a leather belt. Wearing this belt then was a mark of preparedness. The soldier was now ready for whatever battle was to come. For the believer, for the Christian, the belt is truth. Well, what is truth? Simply put, truth is whatever God says. It's not relative. It's absolute, and it's revealed. And where do we find out what God is saying? We find it in the Bible, don't we? Which gives us principles to live by, but also points out warning signs in the road of our life. It tells us when there is a bridge out ahead. You know, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He endlessly tries to deceive us with lies and half-truths. He helps us rationalize our decisions. Oh, that isn't so bad. Oh, it's okay this time. Oh, I see others doing that. The Bible is truth and it reveals to us what is right and what is wrong. And so it is indispensable in our protection from Satan because truth keeps us from being tripped up by temptation. But truth here can also refer to an attitude of truthfulness. Not only is Paul calling us to know the truth, but also to tell the truth. And this could be primarily what Paul had in mind here. The Christian is to have an attitude of total truthfulness. It shows someone who has forsaken hypocrisy. It's a commitment to self-control. It's being discontent with mediocrity and indifferent to the things of God. But overall, I think, it is acting in love towards one another. 
1 John 3.18 puts active love and absolute truth together. John says this, let us not love with words or with tongue, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know we belong to the truth. So you put on the belt of truth, first of all, by knowing the truth as it is given in the Bible. That will help you then to tell the truth and to discern who is telling you the truth and who is lying. Then knowing the truth, in love you act it out in your words and actions to all you come in contact with. The second piece of armor then is the breastplate of righteousness. No soldier would go into battle without it. The breastplate is this tough, sleeveless piece of armor covering the torso all the way around the body, made of tough leather with large pieces of metal hammered into it to conform it to a person's body. It protected all of the person's vital organs. In ancient Jewish thinking, the most important of those organs was, number one, the heart, which to them represented the mind and the will. But secondly, for Jews, the bowels, symbolizing the emotions and feelings. And this is precisely where Satan attacks most fiercely. He creates this world system that tempts us to think wrong thoughts and to feel wrong emotions. He wants to mislead and confuse us with false principles for our life. He wants to keep us away from God's Word where real truth can be found. You don't have to read your Bible today, he tells us. Just wait for the preacher to do that next Sunday. He wants us to laugh at sin rather than repent over it, to turn from it. He wants us to rationalize sin rather than confess it and receive the Lord's forgiveness. He wants us to become so used to sin that it no longer bothers our conscience. Our protection, Paul says, is righteousness. And just as the breastplate is wrapped around the soldier's entire body, so is righteousness for the Christian. In one respect, righteousness is what we receive when we believe Christ died for our sins. This is the righteousness that only comes because Christ has taken our sins upon himself and we are made white as snow. But there's another form of righteousness, and this is what Paul is meaning here. It is practical, everyday righteousness. It is right living. Even though as believers our sins are removed from us, we sin, don't we, every day. And Satan tempts us every day. He is relentless. And it is this practical daily righteousness that protects us from the day-to-day attacks from the devil. To put on the breastplate of righteousness is to live in daily, moment-by-moment obedience to God. This part of the armor then represents holy living, obedience. And you know, God supplies the standard for holiness. He tells us what holiness looks like. And then he even provides us with the power to be holy, the power to obey. But there's something that we need to provide, and that is the willingness. We need to supply the willingness. We must want to obey. And so then, how do we put on daily righteousness? 
Jesus tells us how. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You have to hunger for it. If you hunger for it, if you want it, Jesus promises satisfaction. Now, Satan, he'll want you to hunger for something else, a bigger house, a better job, a nicer car. For any way to develop a hunger of any kind is to focus on what you want to be hungry for. Focus on the kind of deeper relationship then that you want to have with God. Read the Bible. You can't get away from God there. Then offer yourself to God. Romans 6.19 says this, Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. So then Paul gives us a third piece of armor. It is feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. A Roman soldier's boots were usually fitted with bits of metal or nails in them to give them greater traction for climbing and stability when he was fighting. It pictures footwear that keeps the soldier from stumbling. The Christian's footwear, Paul says, is the gospel of peace. Romans 5 verse 1 is an interesting verse, and it tells us that when we enter into God's family, we have peace with God. Well, what does that mean? It actually means that prior to that, we were at war with God. Now, it may not have felt that way before I became a Christian. I sure didn't feel as if I was at war with God. I just didn't think about him all that much. But Jesus says we are either with him or we are against him. We are either at war or at peace with him. There is no middle ground. I was ignoring God, yeah, but this was a form of war with him. When we become a Christian, God declares a permanent peace treaty with us. We are no longer an enemy of God's. We are now, in fact, an enemy of Satan's. But because we are now on God's side, we can stand in the confidence of his love for us and his commitment to fight for us. Once he was our enemy, now he is our defender. Where Jesus said we are either for him or against him, Paul says now of the Christian, for if God is for us, who can be against us? What a transformation. Those of us who stand in the Lord's power need no longer fear any enemy. So how do you put on the footwear of the gospel of peace? Well, the word gospel means good news, doesn't it? And what do we do when we have good news? We tell it to others. There's plenty of bad news going on around these days. The network news is full of it. How about giving our friends and our neighbors and our family some good news for a change? Through our actions and our lifestyle, the good news will scream out, to those who we come in contact, and many will want to know more about this news. That will be the open door to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we wear this gospel? We share it. 
God then empowers us, and we put feet to the good news, and we get it out there. And although Satan will try to dissuade us from sharing, it will stabilize us. It will invigorate us. It will embolden us. The fourth piece of armor, then, is the shield of faith. Roman soldiers used many kinds of shields, but the one Paul refers to is about two and a half feet wide, about four feet tall. It was designed to protect the front of the body of the soldier. The soldiers who carried these shields were on the front lines of battles, and they stood side by side with their shields together. It was team defense. The archers and other attackers stood behind this human wall as they advanced forward. The Christian shield, then, Paul says, is faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith for us. You've probably heard it before. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Every person lives by some form of faith. We cross a bridge with the faith that it's going to support us. When John Patton was translating the Bible for a South Seas Island tribe, he discovered that they had no word for trust or faith. Well, one day, a native who had been running hard came into the missionary's house, and he flopped himself down in this large chair, and he said, it's good to rest my whole weight on this chair. That's it, said Patton. I'll translate faith as resting one's whole weight on God. That's faith. So how then do we put on this shield of faith? You focus on God's faithfulness. Well, how do you do that? Well, for Kathy and me, we look into the past and how God has over and over again been faithful in the midst of real challenges. It's not easy being the parents of two disabled children. Along the way, we wondered why God made life so hard. Why couldn't we have it easy like some of our friends had it? Well, first of all, they had their own challenges. None of us is immune from them. But when Kathy and I would look into the past, over the years of struggle and heartache, we would clearly see God's hand in it. Never once did God skip out on a promise. Never once did he leave our side. Put on the shield of faith. Look back on the faithfulness of God. It will strengthen you and give you confidence that just as he did in the past, so again will he walk alongside you in your current challenges. But there's another aspect of faith or trust that God calls us to put on. It is trustworthiness. It is trusting those you do life with right in this church. It's showing the world that there is a body of people that can get along, that are unified. It requires that we trust each other, that we have faith in each other's desire to enjoy God and please Him. It's hard to do sometimes, but if we follow one very direct principle that Paul gives us, we have taken a huge step in the right direction. It's a principle we heard about a couple of weeks ago, Ephesians 4:29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, 
that it may benefit those who listen. And I don't think I need to expand on that a whole lot. Just look for the good in others. Build them up with words instead of cutting them down. Then the helmet of salvation, the fifth piece of armor. The Roman soldier, again, would never enter into a battle without a helmet. This helmet was made of heavy molded or beaten metal. And the helmet would, of course, protect from life-threatening blows and head injuries that would come at the hand of a broadsword. Well, what is salvation? Salvation is when we are rescued, right? It's when someone saves your life. The sword of Satan strikes us, strikes us with has two edges. In the life of the Christian, I think these would represent discouragement and doubt. Satan discourages us by reminding us of our failures and of our sins. He then instills doubt when things don't go our way, when we're sick, when we lose our job, those times when we wonder if our salvation is real or if God is even really there. Both discouragement and doubt attack our minds. They make us think irrational thoughts, make us go to the most negative of places. So how do we put this helmet on? We put it on by thinking, thinking about the cross, about the cross of Jesus Christ, the salvation that his death on the cross brought. Satan hates it when we do that. When we think about the cross and the sacrifice there, Satan has to flee. Why? Because it was at that point, at the cross, where Satan was really defeated. So when you're feeling like, you know, I just don't think I can handle this anymore, paint yourself a picture in your mind of standing at the foot of the cross and think, how does this situation look in the light of the cross of Jesus Christ? It looks forgiven, is how it looks. It looks rescued, is how it looks. When you think of the cross, it will change your mind, change your thoughts, and it will defeat Satan. And then finally, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Roman soldier actually used two different swords. There was the broadsword. That was the large sword that could only be wielded by using both hands. But there's also a smaller sword, a hand sword, or a dagger that was maybe six to ten inches in length. And it's the hand sword here that Paul refers to. The broadsword was a weapon that the soldier might pick up from time to time, depending on the engagement. But he kept the dagger with him at all times. Well, what does the sword represent? We don't have to guess, do we? Paul tells us. It's the Word of God. A Scottish pastor once said this, the Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, and a balm for every wound. Rob us of our Bible, he said, and our sky has lost its sun. The Bible claims many truths about itself. It claims to be authored by God. It claims to be without error. 
It claims to, that it is complete, authoritative, and the only source of happiness and spiritual growth. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Well, the soldier's sword is, first of all, a defensive weapon. It deflects the blows of the, oppo of the opponent. So if you know the word of God well, you can use it whenever Satan attacks. So know it well. Satan will invariably find out where we are ignorant or confused, and that will be his attack point. But the sword is so much more than a defensive weapon. Out of all of the six pieces of armor, what sets the sword apart from all the rest? All the other armor is merely defensive. Without the sword, how are we going to attack? It is the only offensive piece of armor in the soldier's arsenal. The sword is, it is capable of inflicting blows on the enemy. When the word of God is preached or spoken... It is powerful, and Satan is powerless fighting against it. So how do we take up this sword? Well, we just said it, didn't we? Know the Word of God. Hear it, read it, study it, memorize it. Immerse yourself in the Bible. This is not just some book. It is a weapon. It is a sword able to defend, able to go on the, defensive, on the offensive, able to win against the attacks of Satan. But it's useless if it sits on a shelf. Get it down from the shelf. Go to a Bible study. Bring it to church on Sunday. Don't just read the verses up here on the PowerPoint. Look them up and read them from the book that sits in your lap. Read it every day. Choose some of your favorite verses then and memorize them so you can shout them out to the devil when he's attacking you. So that's the Christian's armor. You know, we could have called this message protected people, but that would have emphasized the wrong point, that we can just sit around and God will take care of us. Paul doesn't say that. He says, be prepared. He says, Put on the armor. Take it up. And if you only put the armor on when you're attacked, you will be unprepared. You will be wounded. If you only take your Bible off the shelf and read when times are tough, your defenses will be down. The battle is real. Don't enter in unprepared. Well, to close this message and these series of messages... I want you to watch how Paul finishes his letter and connects it then to this theme of people of the kingdom. The belt of truth, that is self-control, discipline in knowing the truth and telling the truth in love. The breastplate of righteousness then is obedience and pure living. The gospel of peace, that is a display in our lives in the community that empowers us to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The shield of faith, then, is trusting, trusting God, remembering God's faithfulness, but also trusting one another. We are unified. We are relating. 
And then the helmet of salvation. Salvation is rescue, right? It's where we are given a new heart. It's where we are remade. It's where we are included in God's family. And then the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is where we are informed, informed so that we can not only fight off Satan blows, but we can be the ones inflicting the wounds. Romans 8.29 tells us that people of the kingdom are conformed to the image of Jesus. We take on the characteristics that God made us to be and the characteristics he calls us to be. We are conformed then to the image, that is, the character of Jesus Christ, people of the kingdom. But people of the kingdom are also prepared people, prepared, ready for the onslaughts that come every day from Satan and from the spiritual powers of evil. And they will come. It's a promise. So be ready. Be prepared. The resources are laying there for you. Take them up. Put on the armor of God. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed to be given the gifts that you give us. We are blessed. We are gifted. Um, we are informed. Lord, it's the gifts that you give us are just incredible. And yet, you call us to some of these other gifts as well. You call us to be obedient. You call us to pure living. You call us to be prepared. And yet we know that Satan will come by and he will attack. Yet you don't leave us alone there either. You give us the resources that we need to fight off that battle, but not only to fight it off, but to win. But you do call us to do something there. You call us to take it up, to put it on. Lord, may we do that. May we see the resources lying all around us at our feet and may we take them up, put them on so that we prepared to fight the enemy and even beat the enemy. Thank you for what you give us in your name. Amen.